those words there taken from, I'm not sure what Psalm, 78, uh, are they're a fitting meditation on the uh, scripture we're about to read here in Joshua chapter 4, our, our Old Testament reading uh, for this evening, our, our sermon text for this evening, Joshua chapter 4, which is all about remembering God's wonders and, and uh, conveying that to our children and walking in the fear of the Lord in the light of that. So let's read together Joshua chapter 4. This is the very word of God, brothers and sisters. And it came to pass... When all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the tribe of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, And they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you'd crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. 
Let's pray for His blessing on it. Father, once again, we turn to You and ask that You would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive Your Word in faith. Give us life by it, we pray. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. What is the greatest enemy to our faith? What's the, what's the most dangerous thing to faith, to your faith, to my faith? Probably a number of good answers to that question, good candidates for, for this. I've heard someone say self-reliance is the great enemy of our faith. I think that's true. For others say that fear is or doubt is, unbelief, obviously, unfaith, the opposite of faith, not trusting in the Lord is an enemy to our faith, a danger to it. But I think they're all symptoms of a deeper problem. And well, what is that deeper problem? One of the commentators uh, put, puts it like this. He says that uh, the great enemy of faith is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. We see this all throughout Deuteronomy. Listen to God's warning to his people about the deadly danger of forgetfulness. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, he says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So God says, remember, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Then in verse 11, in the same chapter, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Again, verse 19, Then it shall be if by any means you forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day, you shall surely perish. Deuteronomy, of course, is Moses' long farewell speech right before the book of Joshua begins. And you you hear there God speaking through Moses this, this warning against forgetfulness. There is this anticipation that the Israelites are going to have long-term memory problems. They're going to they're have spiritual amnesia. There's this, this expectation in Deuteronomy that God's going to bring the people into the land. They're going to love the land. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to be thankful for it. But then, after a little while, maybe a generation, maybe two, they're going to take it for granted. And then they'll forget their, their children, their grandchildren perhaps will begin to forget the Lord, forget what He's done, forget His power. They'll, they'll start to think this land is theirs because of how good they are or how strong they are, that they, they took it for themselves, built these things for themselves, and that will lead them to fall away from God and worship whomever they want. This, um, this spiritual amnesia, this spiritual memory loss that we see, is, it's all over the place in that first generation of Israelites coming out of the uh, uh, exodus of, of Egypt. We see this so striking at the end of Exodus 15. The people have just come out of the Red Sea in Exodus 15. They've just seen the Red Sea part. They've seen uh, uh, Pharaoh and his army, uh, the Egyptian chariots, they've, they've seen them come after them into the Red Sea, and they've been wiped out in an instant by God's awesome power. And then they sing this song uh, about the glorious power of the Lord. Then three days later, so, so maybe, say it happened on Monday that God did this, and now it's Thursday, perhaps, and, and the people seem to have already forgotten God's might and mercy. They can't find water, and they start complaining, and they're doubting God three days after the parting of the Red Sea. 
And we see this all over the Old Testament, don't we? And then we see it in the New Testament too. We see Christ's disciples doing this. This, this spiritual memory loss. They see Jesus heal the sick. They see Him cast out demons. They see His divine power. But then they're, they get in a boat with Him. They're going across the sea and there's a storm and, and they doubt Christ. They doubt His power. They forget who He is. They forget what He's done. And that forgetfulness, uh, uh, Jesus responds to their forgetfulness by saying, Oh, you of little faith. So we see this in the saints of Scripture. We also see it in ourselves, don't we? This spiritual memory loss. We, we like to think, as we read the uh, Scriptural accounts, at least I like to think, well, I would have been different. I would have done it differently. I wouldn't have forgotten that just three days before, God made a path through the sea. Of course, He can provide me with water today. Or if I'd, if I'd been there in the, in the boat, I wouldn't for, have forgotten the kind of power Jesus had, who He, who he was. But this, this disease of spiritual forgetfulness is something we're all familiar with. We'll, we'll go to worship the Lord on Sunday. We'll wake up Monday bitter, resentful, uh, full of covetousness, uh, whatever it might be. We'll be reading our, our, our Bibles. We'll be praying to the Lord and, and we'll get up from that and we'll go and we'll lose our temper and we'll get frustrated. And, and it's just even little things can, can make us forget who God is and we respond not in faith but with uh, the eyes of the flesh. And, and these aren't minor things, but there's even bigger threats to this. We, we don't just see this in ourselves. We see it on a wide scale, don't we? We, we? we see that this is a danger for ourselves. It's a danger for the coming generations. It only takes one generation for spiritual forgetfulness to set in and lead the people away. We see this in the Old Testament too. Think of, think of the failure of David's son Solomon. Think of the failure of Solomon's son Rehoboam. We see it in, we see it in church history also. Right? A pastor like Jonathan Edwards has a grandson like Aaron Burr who says Christ is a myth. Or we see a place like New England full of uh, sound theology in many respects and, 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 you know, and then it turns and becomes a hotbed of heresies. How does this happen? Spiritual forgetfulness. Taking place in individuals, taking place in families, in churches, in denominations, from generation to generation. That doesn't take long at all to set in. We forget who God is. We forget what God has done. That's what God is warning His people against here in this text. It's what He's warning us against. He's calling us to remember who He is. To to, to be active and intentional in remembering who He is and what He's done for us. To tend our faith. To tend our spiritual memories. To keep them by, by going to His Word. If, if forgetfulness is faith's greatest enemy, right, we have to remember. Remembrance is faith's greatest ally and support. Remembering who He is. So that's, that's the theme uh, tonight, that, that we need to remember who the Lord is to be on guard against this spiritual forgetfulness. Now, now chapter 4, which we're hitting here in Joshua, picks up right where chapter 3 left off. Um, but there's something similar that we saw here with, with back with chapter 2 uh, in that there's a bit of a detour off the main storyline. Uh, chapter 3, if you heard that sermon a couple of weeks ago, chapter 3 gives us this dramatic account of how the, how the people cross over the Jordan River. Um, and, then, and then chapter 5 picks up that storyline as the people come out of the Jordan River and they're preparing for battle against Jericho. They're getting ready for the conquest. And, and chapter 4 is kind of sat in between chapter 3 
and chapter 5, and it feels almost like an interruption. It really slows down the narrative. And the chapter itself here is, is repetitive. It's telling us some things, again, that happened in chapter 3 we already know about. And then, and then the chapter itself repeats itself from time to time. Verses 1 through 7 tell us about Joshua's command to the people, to these 12 men, uh, one from each tribe, to pick up a stone from the Jordan riverbed, the very spot where the priests uh, are holding the ark. Verse 8 describes their obedience to this. Then verse 10 seems to rewind, give us some information we already knew about the people crossing over the Jordan. Verses 11 to 12 seem to continue a flashback, describing stuff that happened back in chapter 3, which we already know. And then in verses 19 to 20, we're told again about the memorial stones, the, the people building the memorial. We get more detail, but the narrative already told us this in verse verse 8. What's, what's going on here? Well, the, the storyline is repetitive. It's, the author is, is at where it keeps pumping the brakes to, to slow us down. We, the temptation is to speed through it, to rush through it. But the, God, God is highlighting something for us here. He's saying, slow down and see the importance of this event. He's, he's saying, we just, we just saw this glorious work of God slow down. Think about it and remember it. It's not enough that God parted the river. The people have to understand why he parted the river. And they have to remember why. This isn't something God's going to do every day. This is a, this is a once in, the, in, in, in a generation, the once in the history of Israel event. So God wants the people to remember it. Not just for one, two, three generations, but forever. This is the only way their faithfulness is going to be sustained, generation after generation, if they remember these things. So the chapter slows us down and focuses our attention on these things. So the focus here is on remembering. And in particular, remembering two things. The Lord's might and the Lord's mercy. And that's our first point this morning. The Lord's might, the Lord's mercy. That's what we are to remember. We see both these themes woven throughout this chapter. God's might, his power is obviously a big theme here. God himself tells us this is a big point of what he's doing here. This this miracle that he's worked is supposed to highlight his power. At the end of the chapter, verse 24, he says, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. So let's, let's just consider his might as it's on display for us in this chapter here. Verse 7 and then verses 22 to 23 describe God's might for us. It talks about how God cut off the Jordan River before the Ark of the Covenant. And we, we saw this last time as we looked at Joshua 3. The river, the river was in flood stage. It's, it's swollen, it's raging, it's, it's wide, it's deep. But, but as soon as the priests carrying the Ark step into the river... The water is shut off like, like we might shut off a faucet. And it's an awesome display of power. God speaks and the waters just like that obey him. So that's a display of God's power. But of course, someone could say, well, that's just a coincidence. So, so we see something else in the text highlighting this for us even more. Uh, verse 18 describes this, that after the people have crossed over the Jordan, after the 12 men have picked up these memorial stones and, and, and left the, the, the riverbed, after the priests have carried the ark up out of the riverbed, as soon as the priests' feet step onto the dry land out of the, out of the riverbed, at that very instant, it's like the faucets turn back on and the river comes rushing back down, overflowing its banks. 
just like before. And so God is giving the people this perfect timing so they see that once again, this is a miracle worked by the awesome power of God. It's incredible power, isn't it? But it's not just sheer power. This is a particular kind of power. It's a, it's a might whose aim is mercy. That's the second thing we, we see in this chapter. Not only that the Lord's might needs to be remembered, but, but his might aimed at mercy, salvation for his people. Think about um, the significance of the waters, the symbolism of the waters of the Jordan River. Water is often a symbol of judgment in the scriptures. Think of the flood, the, the, the waters of judgment there, or in Exodus, the, 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 fair, uh, the, the armies of Egypt destroyed by the waters. So water is often a symbol of God's judgment against uh, sinners. And, and water is such a vivid picture for us, isn't it? It's so, it's so uncontrollable. If you've ever been on the coast when there's a powerful storm, uh, you, see the, you see the waves crashing in, or if you've seen uh, you know, uh, footage of, of a flood or a broken dam or a hurricane, water is powerful. So this is a, it's a powerful symbol of, of God's might and his judgment. And it's no accident that uh, as the Israelites stand here looking at the River Jordan, they're separated from the Promised Land by the symbol of God's judgment and wrath against sin and against sinners. The, the holy place where they're going to dwell is guarded by the wrath of God. That's the imagery here. So, so yes, it's God's might that is able to stop this river from flowing, but it's his might aimed at mercy. It's a merciful power that he's exercising here. He's, he's opening up the way into the promised land through the waters of judgment. If you think back to Adam and Eve, and they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they, uh, uh, they can't go back in to the Garden of Eden, and placed at the entrance to the garden is an angel bearing a flaming sword, turning every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Guard the way uh, for, to keep sinners from getting into God's holy presence and receiving the covenant blessing. So here God is, God is saying, I, myself, through my mediator, my covenant mediator, the priest bearing the ark, right, I'm opening the way for you to come back into the, to the, the new Eden, the, the promised land, because of my mercy, not because you deserve it. God is making a way by his mercy into the promised land. And God is saying here in chapter 4, don't forget this. Remember my power. Remember my mercy. How I saved you. How I've kept you. How I've brought you into the promised land. The, the generation of Israelites here that is seeing this event and, and every coming generation of Israelites after this needs to remember that it's only by God's might and only by his mercy that they have a, that they have a place in this land. They need to live by this memory. Brothers and sisters, we do too. We need to live with a clear memory of God's might and his mercy for us. Not a, not a, not a kind of memory about something that's distant and, and unrelated to us in the far past, but, 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 but a memory of who God has been for us and is for us and who he will be for us and, and all he's done for us and all he's promised us. Where do we look 
The Israelites look back on this event to see God's might and his mercy bringing them into the promised land. What about us? Where do we look? Well, we can look here with the Israelites and see God's might, his mercy here, uh, and the, the, the events of the crossing of the Jordan River. We can and we should. Uh, we are part of the same people of God. But all these things happening here in Joshua 3 and Joshua 4 are pointing us to Christ. It's rich with typology, with, with, with pointers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, right. Think of the imagery we talked about of the, 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 the waters being parted so that God's people could come into the promised land. Think of our Lord Jesus Christ bearing our sins. He, he as it were, steps into the, the raging river of God's wrath and he's destroyed by it. He's overwhelmed by it. But, but through that, you know, he's the true Ark of the Covenant, the, the true high priest offering up himself as a sacrifice for sin and he opens the way for us to be with God. Not in, not in an earthly, typological, picture promised land, but in the real thing, you know, heaven itself. The waters of judgment part for us. He's raised from the dead. Christ is raised. He enters the, the heavenly promised land himself and he calls us to follow him there with him. These are the things we, that we look to, right? Most of all, go, the power of God and the mercy of God in our salvation in Christ. We need to live in the light of this. The power of God we see in such full measure as Christ dies and rises from the dead for us. And and, and the mercy of God that we see here as God gives his son for sinners like we are to bring us into the heavenly promised land. We need to live with these things as the strongest and most pervasive memory that we have. That's what God wants of his people here. And Joshua, that's what he wants for us as well. How does, how does God do this? How does, he, how does he try to burn this memory into the people's minds here in Joshua? Well, he commands them to take 12 stones and make a memorial. They're to take these 12 stones from the very place where the priests stood as they held the ark in the middle of the, the, the Jordan riverbed there. Take these stones and carry them to the place where they're going to spend the night, this, this place called Gilgal, and to build a memorial there. These are big stones. Uh, they have to carry them on their shoulders. Build, big enough to, to build a memorial that would make coming generations ask, why did you take the trouble to haul a big stone out of the Jordan River and carry it up onto the bank and make a tower here? Why did you do this? This is the main focus. This, this building of this memorial is the main focus of the drama here of chapter 4. He commands, God commands Joshua to have the men do this in verses 2 to 3. Joshua repeats it in verses 5 to 7. 8 and 9 describe the people fulfilling the command. Verses 20 to 24 retell the same thing with more information. This is the center of the action here, building this memorial. God is repeating the point over and over, hammering the point home. Remember, remember my might and my mercy. We're so quick to forget what God has done for us. So God has set up this memorial so that they can see it, so they can be reminded of who he is. Back when we lived in Philadelphia, we always enjoyed going to the old city and uh, seeing the memorials from the Revolutionary period, going and seeing Independence Hall, uh, the Liberty Bell. It's this, you, you walk up to it and you, it's this visual reminder that, yeah, this stuff really happened. You can go and you can stand in the same place. You can, you can touch the, the same stones. 
And, and you can picture uh, the, the, the little Israelite children, grandchildren, generations down the road kind of doing the same thing, going to this memorial, seeing it, saying, this stone came from the middle of the Jordan Riverbed when, when God parted the waters to bring us into this good land. The text is emphasizing this importance here of passing this on from generation to generation so they won't forget. God is laying this burden on, on parents to teach their children these things. That the memory of this might, the memory of His mercy would be burned into their consciousness, burned into their minds, generation after generation after generation. But what's, what's so important about this? Well, that brings us to our second point, which is to revere the Lord forever. This is the answer to the question, Why? Uh, why, why is this remembering so important? Uh, to answer that, let's look at the last verse, especially of this chapter, verse 24. God himself gives us the reason for this. He says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So there's two aspects there, but they have, they're the same reason. It's that people might revere God, whether that's all the nations of the earth revering His might, or, or especially God's own people walking in the fear of the Lord and in reverence before God. Listen to how direct the last part of the verse is. It, it says, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God wants every generation of His people to walk in reverence before Him, the fear of God. The fear of God has fallen on hard times, it seems. Um, it seems very Puritan, very Old Testament, very old-fashioned. Uh, but, but brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord in the Bible is, is shorthand for a life of faith and obedience. Most simply, I think it means a life of taking God seriously. It's the defining characteristic of a life of faithfulness to the covenant, faithfulness to God. And it's not just limited to the Old Testament. Either We see it uh, all over the New Testament as well. There's, here's a text from Paul, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Holiness in the fear of the Lord. That's the capstone that we're, of the Christian life. Or, or, or Peter writes of this in 1 Peter 2, 1, uh, verse 17. Fear God. It's that straightforward. What does it mean to fear God? It's, it's to take Him seriously. It's to revere Him. It's to live as though, as though what he says matters more than anything else. So, so you are going to live your life by God. You're going to fear him. You're going to follow his commandments, trust his word, not live by your own heart, your own ideas, your own agenda, your own opinions and tastes and wisdom, but living by God. Not living by the opinions and tastes and desires and, and uh, thoughts of the world, but living in the fear of the Lord infinitely impressed with God and His glory. Isn't that, how, isn't that how we want to live? It's not how we live so much of the time, but isn't that how we want to live? We see this modeled so beautifully in the life of Christ. How we completely reckoned with God, lived in the fear of the Lord. God was the all-important person to Him more than anything else. He lived by God's Word. He lived by God's standards. He didn't fear man. He didn't live to please himself. Isn't that how we should live? Isn't that how we desire to live? How do we grow in this? 
How do we grow in living a life like this of fear of the Lord? Well, the text is telling us here it's, it's by maintaining our spiritual memory. Maintaining the memory of those events that, that, that define God's people. Those displays of God's might and His mercy. How do we maintain those memories? If, if we must fear the Lord, the way to fear the Lord is to remember these things. How do we maintain that memory? Well, we've already, we've already seen this somewhat, haven't we? This chapter is all about building memorial for this. That's the first thing we see. You need a memorial for this, a, a memory aid to, to, to keep you remembering these things. First glance, that's a problem for us, isn't it? If we're going to live in the fear of the Lord, because we don't live in Israel, our morning commute doesn't go through Gilgal, uh, past the monument. But God has given us something so much better. That's why we read those words of our Lord Jesus about the Lord's Supper earlier in 1 Corinthians 11. This is a, a memorial. It's not only a memorial. It's not a mere memorial, but it is a reminder to us. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He says it twice. He gives the church a sacrament to be a reminder to us. Tangible things, things we can touch and taste and see. Bread and wine that we can look at and and it makes us remember. And it makes our children ask, what what does this mean? Why are we doing this? So that 2,000 years after Christ's death and resurrection, we still remember. Christ, of course, is present spiritually. In the Lord's Supper, we feed on Him by faith. But that faith is a faith that remembers. Not only the Lord's Supper that God has given us as a memorial to His, to his might and His mercy, it's also, I think, the Lord's Day is a good memorial for us. Having one day a week, Sunday, that's a constant reminder of the Lord's resurrection. Every Lord's Day, living out our life by that rhythm that we are remembering. Why, why do we do this? We're remembering that Christ rose from the dead. Every week. That's, the, that's to be the rhythm of the Christian life, the reality we live out of, the hope we live towards, the resurrection itself. So we have the Lord's Supper, we have the Lord's Day. We could go on, couldn't we? There's all sorts of things. So think of God's Word itself. Think of the Bible, the book right there that you can hold in your hand. The Israelites didn't have the complete whole counsel of God like we have, the completed canon. They, they might have had a few copies of the, the books of Moses, but, but look what we have. The very gospel, right? the whole counsel of God. So no, we don't have uh, this memorial of 12 stones taken from the very feet of the priests as they crossed the Jordan River. But what we do have is so much greater, so much better, isn't it? Because here we see so much more clearly the might and the mercy of God for us. So we need a memorial. God's given us memorials. But a memorial, a memorial isn't enough, is it? And that's the second thing we, we see here. We have to take advantage of the memorial. We have to use it. Right? Think of a, think of a, a statue in a, in a town square or, or a park. You know, maybe the first time you see it, you pay attention. But then time goes by and you eventually just walk past and you don't think about it at all anymore because it's just part of the landscape. It's just, it's just you take it for granted it's there. So often this happens with our spiritual memory too, right? The Lord's days come and go. And we forget that this is a memorial to us of the very resurrection of Christ. Or, or the Lord's supper comes and goes and it can become just another habit that we fall into. Or, or we, 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 we just leave the Bible on the shelf and we forget that this is a, a reminder to us of God's might and His mercy, a testimony to us of His saving work. And we just 
we, we, we pass it by and we don't think about it. And we don't think to tell our children about these things. So that's why in, here in the text, Joshua 4, we see both verse 7 and verse 21, God tells them to build the memorial and teach their children about what it means. Have a memorial, but, but use it. So brothers and sisters, we also, we need to put a premium on, on the importance of of actively, thoughtfully remembering God's might and His mercy, taking the memorials He's given us and and using them for ourselves and for our children and for our children's children, including our spiritual children. This is the only way we can live this life of reverence and, and fearing the Lord. This is the only way to live a life of remembrance, remembering all that God has done. In closing, I want to consider one one final thing together. We've seen the importance here of remembering God. Uh, We've seen that there's no reverence for God, no fear of God without remembering Him. That means there's no covenant faithfulness without remembering Him. That, That covenant faithfulness, fearing the Lord, that's the goal. Not just for a generation, but forever. That's how the chapter closes here with that word, forever. That we would fear the Lord forever. I read that and think, so was this whole thing just a failed project? Because if you go read the sequel to Joshua, the book of Judges, it's not a book about how faithful Israel was, about how well they remembered, how they had this memorial, and it reminded them of God's might and his mercy, and it kept them from straying from him. And it's It's a book about how quickly they forget So it looks like the memorial didn't work. It wasn't enough. They forgot who God was. So was this this just a futile idea from the start? Was this this just a waste of time from the start? Of course not. The Lord is not going to do anything that's a waste of time. God's purposes for His people are never thwarted, even even by His people themselves, not even by their unfaithfulness. And actually, that's so clear right here in this very text. As we look at uh, verse 23 and 24 here, the end of the chapter, this is not only a call to remembrance, it's not only a call to fear the Lord and live in reverence of Him, it's also a promise. It's not just saying, remember who God was for you, it's saying, remember who God has been for you, because that is who God will always be for you. Who God, who, who God was, is who God is, is who God will be. For you, It's not just a memory to look back on of his might and his mercy. This is who God is for you. It's a promise for you. That memorial is a promise of what God is going to continue to do for you. Even if you're unfaithful. You see this here in the text in verse 23. In verse 23, God draws a line from how he parted the Red Sea to how he parts the Jordan River for his people. And, and I think the point there is this, that God began the process way back at the, the Red Sea parting, and now he's finishing it. He's, he, he, he inaugurated, and now he's consummating. The people of Israel have been kept, they've been guarded, they've been upheld by God's might, by God's mercy from the beginning of their exodus until their, their entrance into the promised land. And brothers and sisters, it was not for anything in themselves. It wasn't because they were so faithful to God. Think of that wilderness generation. There was never a more forgetful generation, probably, in the history of God's people. But God is faithful. He still brings His people into the promised land. 
He still finishes what he started. And the point here for us is this. All this is pointing to the, 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 the already and the not yet. What God has begun and what he's going to finish of our salvation in Christ. We, we live in the memory of what God has done for us in Christ. But it's not just a memory of some past event. It's a promise. We, we, live, we live in between what Christ has done and what Christ is coming again to do. So, so we live in certainty of everything God has done for us and in certainty of everything he, he will do for us. Christ, who lived and died and rose and ascended for us, is the Christ who's coming again to bring us into the heavenly promised land. So we, we don't hope in our ability to remember these things or our ability to fear the Lord. We don't, we don't rest in our ability to hope in God's promises. We don't rest in how much we fear God or how well we teach our children. Those are not the things that will ultimately save us or keep us faithful. We must work on them, but they are not the things we rest in. Like the people of God here, we are to rest on the sovereign saving grace of our Lord. Brothers and sisters, don't forget that. Let's pray together.